Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, it's my distinct honor to welcome Kara Stoltenberg to the show today. She is an author, spiritual mentor, and life coach, and she has a powerful story to share with us today about life transformation, not only her own, but the work that she's been doing with others that I love bringing in incredible guests on the show. And Kara has a powerful story to tell. So Kara, I'm so happy to have you here. We're going to have the chance to talk about the effects of trauma in life and a wide variety of traumas that you've you've talked about or some that you've experienced in your own life, but also those that you run into in your work as a spiritual mentor and life coach. And so can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your professional background and how you've gotten to the place that you're doing the work that you're doing? Absolutely. Thank you, Ed. I'm so excited to be here with you and just glad to make this connection. I've been listening, binge listening to your podcast since I learned about it. And I just have to say it's wonderful. I've learned so much. I've started following several people that you've interviewed. (laughs) It's just so valuable. So I feel very honored that you have invited me to share on here with your fabulous listeners. So let's see a little bit about me. Well, you know, life has its twists and turns. And I actually went to school to be a speech pathologist. And then I shifted gears into deaf education. (laughs) I'm doing none of those things. Okay. So the school, after my master's degree, the school of life, I like to say, although my master's degree was very much centered around grief and partnering with parents who had children with disabilities and not only helping them with the education of navigating what they were dealing with, but also really supporting them through navigating that. And Mm. I feel like the one thread that is true in everything that I've ended up doing in my life is that that's kind of my role. Information, because I love information. Yes. Coupled with really tender, real, present support. Mm. So somewhere along my journey, I started having really significant health struggles. and through my journey to really, it was to conceive when I started going through natural health, the natural health world. And I became a health coach in that journey because I was like so passionate about helping people find health in their bodies. And a large part of what I did during that time was work with people on the beliefs and emotions that were stuck in their body that were part of why they were staying in a state of dis-ease or dysfunction in their systems. Mm -hmm. And I I love helping people get healthy because I'm very passionate about that. But at some point along that road, I was like, you know what? I want to help people live like the lives they want to be living. Like I want to like all this work with these beliefs and emotions and stories that are lodged in us that are keeping us from being healthy. 
also keeping us from doing the things we want to do, living the life we want to live, making the money we want to make, having the love we want to have, whatever it is. Right. And so I kind of just started shifting my gears in that direction a bit. And do you want me to keep going? There's a little more to the shift of where I got right where I am today. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. I mean, I've got 23 questions based on just that first part, but I'll hold them. Yes. So then five years ago, in May of 2018, I was riding my bicycle, a quick bike ride before I went to counseling, (laughs) and I was in a hit and run accident Uh, that left uh, me on the side of the road unconscious to die. And I was life flighted to a local hospital and I fought for my life. And I had a liver laceration that was the most, I was bleeding into my abdomen basically. So that was the most life-threatening, multiple orthopedic injuries and a brain injury. Sure. So for two years, I did not work at all. And I'm a single mom. I just want to remind you, I'm the sole breadwinner in my family. So there's some money story there, Ed. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, the financial planner in me is now lighting up with all kinds of questions. So, yo, yo. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I'm going to learn something today that's going to help me so much. I'm going to hire you. <laughs> then, let's see. In After almost two years, I started to see clients. And I would see one client and I, my friends helped me move my office to my home because I still, five years later, cannot drive, which is another story in and of itself. But at that time, they're like, you're going to be able to see clients before you can drive. So we're going to yeah. move your office to home. So hence my beautiful office here in my home. <laughs> right. And I would see one client and then I'd be in bed for days because of how exhausting it was to my sensory system and my brain. And I was, of course, committed to holding space at such a high level. And I was not going to, I used to be able to see clients on the hour, you know, like I would give myself 15 or 30 minutes. I could stack, I could see seven clients in one day. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, now it was like two a week was my max. And that uh, went on for quite a while. And then of course, our lovely 2020 event that rocked the world. And that caused me, I, at the time I was still using some computer, computer programming to look at like the energy of emotions that were part of what was in the physical body. Okay. And so at that time I was like, okay, I have to go hundred percent on the phone. And this was actually really wonderful for me because it gave my brain reprieve from all the work of taking in everything And I could just focus on my conversation and be present with the person. So I was able to increase to like four to six people a week. So I've maintained doing my work on the phone to this day at this point. Yeah. And I am, there's the steady and slow healing process. Right. And that's just all part of my journey. But the, I also, I guess it was in 2014 when I started I was part of a book compilation called Pebbles in the Pond, Wave 4. And that was one of the most life-changing things that I I had a a chapter published in a compilation book. And then again in 2017, I was a part of a compilation called Dream Boldly, I Dare You. And both of those, just that process of expression and and being public and getting my voice out there and what had to be overcome in terms of trauma I was holding in my body and my own beliefs about being visible 
in order to be seen in such an intimate way. And each time I tell you, each time I do anything, whether it's I'm currently launching a podcast. And so that's more visibility on a different level or whether I run a group program or any expansion I make in business, I find so much trauma rises to the surface to be seen and held and nurtured. And that's one of my most passionate things with people like creating a space where as they're bringing their gifts and their awesomeness into the world, I like to be a landing place where, mm. where they can be held and work through that trauma that's coming up. Because I just think, oh my gosh, we cannot let trauma hold us back from you know what we're here for and the amazing things we have to bring. So I'm watching you. You bring your your hand to your throat space as you're talking through this, and I'm feeling all the feels in my body and this kind of almost excitement and like m- wanting to move forward towards, and also this terror, like pull back. And it's mm-hmm. this. I think that it's such a profound learning, and it's a. It's not a learning in the sense of it's brand new at this point, but it's a revisiting type of learning and maybe a deepening learning that as we grow and heal and we try new things and have this expansion of self, we also end up revisiting our trauma in so many ways. Yes. And so like this is that kind of the case for becoming intimately familiar with your trauma. And and that's terrifying for many people to consider, especially if you if you're early or not started on a trauma healing journey, but it seems quintessential at this point in the journey that part of what stops us from making the success, the successful strides that we want is that inner constrictions. And earlier you're talking about, you're pointing to the core through the chest and that and how the story gets stuck in your body. And this weekend I was running a 5k for the first time in a long time on a trail race. And I was going along and I wasn't, I'm just getting started again. And I was about two thirds of the way done. And I just all of a sudden started feeling this feel and this thought and this memory came up inside of me. It was like, I'm going to live. I was like, what? I'm going to live? What? And then connect it back to my 19-year-old self being a firefighter. And that time coincided with 9-11 happening two months. And so what I didn't know that had happened to me in that experience is how much terror of death I internalized. Oh, yeah. And while oh, I have visited that over time, like it just came up again. And so like, as I'm expanding back into physical health and I mean, there's just so many pieces, so rich, so much richness, Kara, in that your story of healing and people's misunderstanding of how quickly you can heal from trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, we just, there's some parts of the process you can't speed up a whole lot. You can help facilitate yeah. it happening, but you can't like mm-hmm. put nitrous into it and have it. <laughs> so anyhow. no. And I think one of the things that I, I think there's a misconception of a period at the end of the sentence. And one of the Ooh. things that I like to talk about is I have come to accept there's not a period at the end of the sentence. It's not healing, period. I see you. I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> I'm loving that. It's a lifetime of, I have some really significant trauma that was so violent and violating from my childhood that, and it was terrifying and my brain Mm. completely repressed it from the age of eight until the age of 38. And when I remembered it through EMDR, 
in Mm -hmm. therapy. Yes. And it took years of developing a safe space and doing EMDR with a counselor for it to, for my brain to feel safe, bringing it forward. Yes. Right. And then as EMDR is this amazing and magical thing that is a gift to our brains. It can, our brains remember everything like a movie. I mean, like a movie, this repressed memory Mm -hmm. comes forward. And I guess in that, when I first remembered it, I am very determined. And I thought I will exonerate this from my body in every way. I will do every healing thing. I mean, I worked on energy. I worked on physicality. I worked on emotion. I worked on the mental piece. I worked on every piece. I worked on the connective piece. I worked on, I did the spiritual angle. I did the spiritual, I did all of it. Right. And I, I mean, I'm so glad I did all the things, but at some point I remember just feeling like, ah, do I ever get to the end of this? Is there ever an end? And then at some point I came to the piece of no. And I can tell people just, No, I don't believe we get to an end. This is an experience that happened to my body. Right. This is an experience that that I it flavors my life. Yes. I can live healthfully and abundantly in spite of this experience or these experiences. Right. But it's always going to be part of me. You can't. Surgically remove it. No. And my life would be completely 180 different. There's a million things in my life that would be different if it hadn't happened. Well, uh, so much of us meeting, I'm remembering your stories and the trauma and dissociation. And I just, the book, Every Memory Deserves Respect. Have you heard of this one? Ooh, no. So I will now. <laughs> I just interviewed the author, Michael. I can't remember his last name, but I was listening to him on another podcast called Therapist Uncensored. And he was on there talking about his new book. And he is a recipient of EMDR and co-wrote with the psychologist that provides it. But what he talks about is his 20-year journey in counseling where trauma was never talked about, was never named, was never questioned. And that I know is so common that like mental health professionals don't conceptualize through a trauma lens. I don't quite understand how they can't or why they don't. But EMDR is very clearly a trauma-focused protocol. And my experience with EMDR brought up dissociated childhood sexual abuse mm-hmm. from probably about the age of four or five. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely rocked my world. And it, it was years in the making to get to, like you said, the safe enough place. And for me, enough intellectual understanding to allow myself to open up those doors. Cause I was like, what the hell is this EMDR crap? Now, mind you, I'm a licensed therapist at this point <laughs> and I'm totally mistrustful of this thing mm-hmm. called EMDR. And so, <laughs> you know, for anybody that's all, like mistrustful or concerned about therapeutic practices, totally feel you. And, yeah. and Carrie, you talk about, it's just, it's such a radical experience to have these dissociated memories come flooding back. But when you when they come flooding back, it's no false memory. Mm-hmm. No way you could make it up. I mean, that the kind of things that come back, it's, it's just like you couldn't make it up. <laughs> you wouldn't want to make it up, you know? I've had bad dreams and nightmares. And there's a, I know that there's a fictional quality to it. Yeah. But what came up and was experienced and has continued to unravel for me through 
EMDR and the felt somatic memories is unmistakable violation. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, I think about, and this is, I'm taking us sideways. So if you want to redirect back another way, you can. How does trauma impact intimate relationships? Like, and that journey of unrecognized to recognized trauma, how does that impact our journey in intimate relationships? Yeah, that's one of my, I mean, I think that's one of the things I work with people the most because, I mean, for me personally, I could not figure out (laughs) how I knew so much and I kept getting myself into relationships that weren't good. Hmm. I like to say to my clients, my picker was off. (laughs) (laughs) and it's like i'll say that to them and i'm like your picker's off like we got to work on your picker it's it's really not and i know for me there was despite the horrific remembrance of sexual trauma rape at eight years old for me there was a sense in my body of oh like my whole life suddenly made sense And I remember prior to that, like, you know, I had been in counseling because I just kind of like self improvement and (laughs) the best I can be. And I remember, like, anytime I saw a list of, like, if you were sexually abused when you were a child, these things might show up in adulthood. And I would look at a list and go, a lot of those things are true for me. And yet I was like, I have, I mean, I don't think that I was sexually abused. So I guess I'm, I don't know why yeah, well, these things are true for me. Right, right. So, yeah. yeah, when I remembered, there was a sense of like understanding why I had made choices to align in relationship to abusive partners. Yeah. And I think for me, it was like, okay, I can do something about that. Right. Because I can work on healing the part of me that was so violated and wounded and feels shame and worthlessness Mm -hmm. and believes that no good thing is ever going to come to me and just has all these false beliefs about who I really am. I can love on her. I mean, I remember long ago when I heard the term inner child work and I was like, I mean, I love kids. So I was like, okay, well, how do we do that? And it's like, it's so funny because it's like, it's not right, like this. Right. There's not an answer. Right. No, I was just thinking about the inner child work and like that phrase. Yes. But I did notice like as a parent, me, I love kids. And so, and I'm good talking to kids. And so when I would be figuring out how to talk to my child or other children after I heard about this inner child work, I started to notice as a parent, like if when my child was five, little things would come up inside of me. And I'd be Mm. like, oh, that's my inner child. I'm doing that in air quotes. Like, well, that's the thing that they're talking about. (laughs) Right, right, right. And so I would like create this dialogue in my head and like me, mom, Kara, be like, what's going on? And then I would just start offering like ideas. And it was like this other part of me, this five-year-old part of me I would wait until I could feel it resonated. Like, are you scared? Are you this? Mm -hmm. And then I could feel her, my little self, when it was like, yes, that's it. Ding, ding, ding. And I started to do this dialoguing with my little girl. And that's one of the most 
I think precious things that I do with my clients to this day is lead them into that dialoguing with different parts of their little, like, are you five? Are you eight? And then our teenage selves, like how those different parts play into any given moment in time. And if there's a wounded part that hijacks the situation. situation. Oh yeah. That, so circling back to your actual question, I think trauma unresolved hijacks our intimate relationships, whether that's in like, for me, it hijacked my choosing of someone, because if I believe I'm not worthy, I'm going right. to choose someone who treats me poorly, right? who I can't have conversation with, who I'm being gaslighted by, who is not a partner in life. And would you say that those individuals likely have their own unresolved trauma that in some way kind of, I hate to use the word perfectly matches your trauma. Like, yeah, you're making that, you're interlocking your fingers. I talk about it like puzzle pieces. Yes. So your family system, like the beliefs you have from your family system, the role you played, and also your trauma, it has a shape. And so if you have unresolved trauma, your shape is one shape and it's going to fit with someone who you don't actually fit with, but your trauma fits with them. And would I say those people have unresolved trauma? Sure, sure. I want to stop you right there. You said something that that's so critical. I think it's a point not to be missed. It's your trauma matches with their trauma. It's not you, right? And I, I want to highlight that because we are not our trauma. And that's a big kind of psychological journey to take as a part of this total journey, right? Is not becoming over-identified with our trauma, which I know I became completely identified with my childhood sexual abuse for a couple of years. Like that's all I saw myself as is now I've got this reality and this is who I am. Yeah. I mean, that's been a huge part of my messaging forever. We are not our circumstances. You are not your trauma. But I also think that when you really enter healing massive childhood trauma of any kind, and of course, I can also speak to sexual abuse, it is consuming. It is consuming for a while. And maybe necessarily so. This is kind of that, that challenge. Like I was talking with uh, someone recently and they were saying, well, my husband didn't like therapy because he didn't want to be the victim. He didn't want to see himself mm. in his victimhood. And I just thought, I was like, oh, I feel that. I hear that. I know that so well because I've been in that space. And then I had this like sense of like, we have to lead you into the, your victimhood and then back out the other side. And I think that's what you're getting at, Kara, is right, is like being open to the fact that, yeah, you, we all have been victims of something or multiple somethings. And if we live in denial of that, we can't address it. But I think, oh, I tell you, I have been having, I've been trying to express this in so many places. So I'm going to say this to you and see if this resonates for you. Actually, lately, I've been feeling a bit of like a, conflict within myself anytime I hear people talk about victim mentality. And I've been like, okay, why am I feeling like kind of angry about it? Like, would you stop using that term? You know what? I was a victim. I was eight years old. I was absolutely helpless. I was in some, I mean, I was a victim. And do you know what my mentality was? Yes. My mentality was survive. My mentality was 
zip up what happened to me and walk into my house and have dinner with my family so that I would live. Because with a knife to my neck, I was told, if you tell anyone, you'll die. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, that's one heck of a mentality. And I'm pretty proud of how I got through that. So is the victim mentality the right term here for this thing that we all don't want to be? Because I think this idea of victim mentality brings shame to actual victims stepping into situations in which they were victims in order to do the healing. Mm. What do you think, Ed? Uh, (laughs) I'm very passionate about this, obviously. It's a lot. I've been thinking about it so much. This is, well, let me... I'll say it and then explain it is like, I just want to collapse. And honestly, there's a part of me and there's a lot, there's tears coming up. It's just like, I want to collapse into your arms. And it's, mm. it's, it's not the 41 year old male. It's the little boy who's mm-hmm. hearing this. It's yeah. the teenage boy. It's the early 20 something year old who has struggled through because the trauma plays on the innocence and robs the innocence of the child. Yes. And it's part of the travesty, right? Is we all start so innocent in the world without the ability to have perspective, without the ability to create safety. And so, yes, I'm deeply feeling this. You know, I think maybe one of the signals that I've learned and it's on the continuum of adapting behaviors, it's not mm-hmm. particularly destructive, but it's one of my go-to that are Diet Coke and a cookie. I don't know where I fully picked that up, but that like, I start like this conversation triggers me into like, Trying to ruminate, I want a Diet Coke and a cookie. And I know where <laughs> I want it from. And I, I might honestly just be going there right after this interview to get one. And it's okay. But I think because this topic for listeners, as you're listening, if you're being provoked or triggered and hearing Karen and I talk, it's pay attention. It's okay. Like this, I think something I was thinking about today is what is true. And the truth is we have been victimized and there's a place for rightfully being able to put a stake in the ground and say, no, God damn it. I was hurt. It was inappropriate. And they had no right to do this to me. Mm-hmm. And that's right. to say you can't claim that is part of the vicarious traumatization or extension of the traumatizing effect. And I think because we use terms like play the victim and victim mentality, like yeah. anyone who's actually been a victim, I can't say anyone. You can never generalize like no. that. Right. Most Many people who are truly on a healing journey from true victimhood are so repulsed at the thought of being thought of as a victim. In the way we talk about victim mentality and playing the victim, it's like, I wasn't playing. Grown men who were much stronger than me were forcing me into a situation in which I had no power. My body went into freeze to survive. Like, It's brave that I took every step out of there. I feel like every step I've taken since then in my life to live is brave and glorious and amazing. And I feel like the part of me who had the victim mentality, which I term as, I survived. I got myself out of there. I kept getting A's in school and I don't care what grades you got in school after that. That has nothing to do with anything. Mm. That was part of like my story. You know what I mean? Like I kept showing up with friends. Like everyone has a different story. So I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong path, but 
everything after that is, it's a victory. There's a victory in living, taking breaths, showing up to this interview for you, for me. For both of us, yeah. I was telling you before we got on here, like I'm not usually nervous to talk to people and I could feel my little eight-year-old right in my belly, like tight, 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 so much anxiety. Like, are you going to talk about this? (laughs) I believe that, yeah, the speaking about it, the expression is part of resolving it from our bodies. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love the Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, Please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. And I think as people are listening, I'm curious to your thoughts, Kara, is that it's it's a latter part of the healing journey in most cases, right? It's Oh, yeah. Right. Like this is like if you have trauma in your history and you're just starting to discover it, please. From my yes. perspective, don't hear hear that you need to go and get on podcasts and start talking no. about it or, or blogging about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like there's some stages of healing that you probably need to be able to work through before it's time to go air quotes public with it. And what if, that if means, ever. If ever, right? And it's not everyone's expression could be a song, an instrumental song, a painting, getting it out of your body. Mm-hmm. And it can be solely for you and you alone and no one else. So there's the opportunity mm-hmm. for privacy in expressing, but the expression and working through is part of the healing journey. And I was cleaning up my office yesterday and you know, I have journals from the last eight years. And I was like kind of blown away when I stacked them all together. And I was like, there are five, six, seven journals full of expressing myself and sorting through and working through dissociation and dysregulation and flashbacks and trying to get re-regulated. And so there's something so profound. And as much as I study and try to understand how the brain works, it's still a miracle to me. Oh my gosh. There's still a part of it that's a miracle. Like no matter how much technical understanding about the neuroscience of the brain and ex- the science of expression, and it's, it's still a miracle. It is. Man. And I want to piggyback on what you were saying. Like for me, this, the journey since remembering has been just a little over eight years. And that the slow expression of telling my, my family members and mm. having their knowing be part of my journey. It was a long, I mean, I had maybe a few friends who I told, but it was a long time, a long time before I began to, within a friendship, if it came up and it was like, right. okay, this is like an appropriate vulnerable moment that I would share that in a very private, intimate setting. I think one of the reasons for me in who I am in the world and who I'm called to be and how I'm built, I know that sharing this story is important because I know for me, even as I shared the story, people don't always know how to receive it. 
Mm. I had great conversations with a friend of mine who, as I've talked to her about, it's this awkward thing. Like it's part of every day. And yet it's not something that she had a friend whose husband passed away a few years ago. And a hundred percent of the time, every single time she talks to that friend, she says, how are you doing in regards Mm. to being a widow? Right. How are the girls? And she's like, I think about this every time I talk to you, but I never say anything because it's like, we've kind of parsed out with my sister. I've had a lot of conversations too, like how it's this slow stepping toward letting this, this reality that I live with every day. I don't need to talk about this every day. I don't want to talk about this every day. Every day, right. Right, but when it's relevant and when it's present, it would be so nice for people who hold that trauma, not to have to hold it to protect the other person, but to have the safety of bringing this peace into the relationship. And this goes back to your question on how does trauma affect intimacy? Because obviously there's a component of self-healing. Like we have to be responsible for our own healing And only I can be responsible for my healing, but also within especially trauma as it relates to intimacy. If trauma has happened within the violation of our person, I also believe that healthy connections are one of the necessary pathways to true healing. Which I think brings us full circle to that. The phrase, the fun phrase that uses your picker is off. Right. Part of healing our picker and part of the healing journey is going back and learning how to trust in relationship again. Mm-hmm. And that that's a hard and arduous journey. It's a process. It's taking steps. And I think you know what was striking me is just that we on our own healing journey, we learn about who can handle our story, how much they can handle of our story, where and when we can share it. And I've certainly had my missteps in sharing and oversharing. And probably like the harder thing is I've had my missteps in not sharing because when you don't share, you don't know whether it's okay to share. And so there's that side of it too, where there's taking risks to share really vulnerable parts of your story with folks. And that's that's the delicate dance. And I think it is as much as we could tr- write out a rule book of working through your trauma, there's a still a having to get out there and learn the dance and be on the dance floor and trying. And I think that's part of why it's important to me to talk about it because not only to inspire that people who have been through traumatic childhood experiences are willing to possibly take a step into the dance, but also people who are willing to step in the dance with them, whether that's a spouse or a sister or whoever that I want to talk about it because I want people to know like, hey, it's a conversation that I don't want to say it's awkward, but it's not natural and it's brave on both sides and it's Mm. it's applause worthy on both sides and you don't necessarily know what to say. And I think having someone step in and say, here are some things that are helpful, were helpful to me, maybe that'll help you with someone else, like giving those those clues so that it isn't so taboo. Cause when something's taboo, it's usually shameful and <laughs> we want to take that uh, shame away. 
Yes. Yes. So let's talk about taboos and shame and money for a few moments. <laughs> like in your work with folks, how do you see see all of that intersecting into their financial life and what's happening for them? Taboos, shame, and money. Well, a personal story comes up for me when you okay. say that specific thing. Okay. Can I share a personal story? <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. When I had my accident, again, I'm a single sole breadwinner and I cannot work. But when someone, a client actually was like, we got to do fundraising for you. I mean, I wanted to hide under a rock. I can still kind of get sick saying this out loud. Okay. Just so you know, <laughs> I don't feel I, I, I'm comfortable with talking. this. Okay. So let's just take a moment. I see the Yeah. The idea. And so this is interesting because this was five years ago. Uh-huh. People did a little bit of fundraising, which helped tremendously. What helped me get through that time the most for the financial planner and you. <laughs> yes. Was that one year prior to my accident, I had bought a new house. And when I put my down payment down on this house, I had set aside a significant amount of my equity from my old house to furnish this house. And I kind of wanted to do that. Like I wanted to kind of move in and like furnish my house. And because I bought my house to expand my business, I was going to start doing personal like deep dive retreats in my guest room and guest bath. And I had a space for center work to bring women in and have centers. And so I wanted to get that going. And I, I lived, did life for about a year. And then I was like that summer, I was planning to like, okay, we are moving forward with project, get the house done so we can start in all these business ventures. And that may I had my accident. So it was like one of these things I had set aside money for something else and was able to use that. But I will also say that as a single parent, even before the move, my way of living was very much live in the simplest way possible so that I can be as present as I can be as a parent and provide what we need without feeling like I didn't want that single mom story where they're like, oh, my mom worked three jobs to get us through. I so commend that. I am like so blown away by these women. And I knew I can't do that. Mm. I do not have like the stamina to do that and be the kind of mom that I really had in my heart to be, to have the kind of presence that I wanted to have. And so I learned how to rub pennies together and live really small. And I am so grateful to my parents. I had great, wise spending teaching in my family. You don't spend what you don't have. And I learned not to do credit card debt. Those kind of things really served me in, yeah, in, sure. in all of these, in all of this turmoil. But the shame piece around deserving, like why would people get, I think there's a worth factor there. And I actually didn't connect that until more recently because that fundraising was five years ago. It was for a, a short period of time. And then since then, it's been like piecemeal and my son is graduating next year. And so for five years, I have not been able to drive. And it's not like a medical, hey, you can't drive. It's a, when I drive, my eyes do funny things in my brain and my eyes, it's just too much. 
and I know my limits. And so I've had angel drivers and I go to just the few places that I must go an appointment, the grocery store, those kinds of things. For several years, I couldn't walk into a grocery store just to be clear. Like the visual stimulation was too much. And I, I would be falling over. Like my brain injury would not allow it. So about a year ago, my son rode in a Tesla and he comes home and he's like, mom, this is the answer. Have you ever ridden in a Tesla, a self-driving one? I have. Yes. It's pretty darn cool. I mean, and I'm, I'm in that zenial generation, right? So I'm not total X, but I have enough X in me that I'm like, a car can't drive. <laughs> right, right, right. So I don't know. It was probably around, I don't know, late fall last year. We have some friends who have a self-driving Tesla and they came over and, and let me try driving it. And it was, we got out, it was dark, it was raining. So the self-driving piece doesn't work totally. And so you have to do turns and lane shifts. But yeah. I mean, I, it partnering with that car, I drove for 45 minutes in the rain, in the dark, on the interstate, downtown in, in my little suburb town. And it was like, oh my gosh, it is the answer. So my son is determined that before he graduates, he's going to, his mission is to fundraise to get me a Tesla so that I am not stuck here without a driver in the house. And Ed, that kid who's amazing, launched a fundraiser and in 10 days raised about $10,000. Wow. And I mean, he's calling the local Tesla people, blah, blah, blah. I, going back to shame, here it comes again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I have to stay out of it because he does not have the shame around money that I do. Mm. He doesn't have the limitations around receiving because I have somehow raised him not to. He understands that it's a need. It's just, it's magical to watch it, but I'm just like, I'm out of this. And yet it's caused me to go into a different layer of understanding what are these feelings for me? And I think because I've been doing, always I'm doing an understanding of how does trauma play into that, it just dawned on me in a belief format that there's a piece of me that believes in that trauma sector yeah. that I'm not worth receiving that. I'm not worth receiving the support. I don't deserve the support. And then going back to my strongest trauma memory, I got to do it on my own. I got to figure this out. Nobody can know I'm not okay or I'm going to die. <laughs> so realizing that that was winding in there for me, just going, okay, everyone deserves support. This is uncomfortable to me. You know, I also grew up as a farmer's daughter. You work hard for everything you have. Kara, would you be open to trying just a little experiment while we're here live on the podcast? Oh my gosh, yes. Are you going to help me clear this up? (laughs) Well, we'll see. We'll see. Move it a little bit. So let's just take a moment, deep breath. And with everything that you've just shared in mind, this idea of the parts, bringing the fullness of your healing self, adult, Kara, with all the perspective, if you can close your eyes and gently go into that segmented trauma piece and just let it know what it needs to know. Ask the questions that need to ask. And if you need to use your hands to touch into your body to feel it, feel welcome to do that. 
So we just see you coming to your neck and your chest. And just allow the fullness of your healing journey to transcend and permeate through this shame and allow it to metabolize so that you can be in a place of receiving as your son is acting on your behalf in a beautiful way. And just notice what's happening in your body. Tears are a gift of acknowledgement, of feeling seen, of feeling cared for. Mm. What do you notice now as you just kind of come back into this space? Nobody wants to almost die. (laughs) You got that right. (sighs) But in almost dying five years ago and in the healing since then, It has just created this space for me to really give space for the little girl who almost died when I was eight, Mm. who never Mm. got space because nobody knew and nobody could take care of her. And she just had to be okay. And I, I really had no idea I was functioning under that belief that I had to be okay or I would die Mm -hmm. until sort of after math of my accident. And I mean, I was not okay. I could not do life on my own and I needed help. And so I had to push against that feeling that if I'm not okay, I'm going to die. And, you know, like the help went beyond the round of casseroles. On the meal train. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, five years later, like in two days, I have an appointment and I don't have a ride. So, you know, I'm like reaching out, reaching out, reaching out, reaching out. You know, that's just part of life. And so learning to receive and realizing it's okay to have needs and healthy to have people in your life looking out for you. But I'm, I mean, I'm just realizing, like I said, in this moment, I'm realizing sort of an expansion of what the work around my son doing this fundraising and having this mission. When you said the words on your behalf, I think it felt really humbling to me that my own child is acting on behalf And he's almost an adult. I mean, he's a few months away from being an adult and that he could act on my behalf within these needs. Like that is healing. Thank you for bringing that full circle for me because it, it literally just tied in the work that I've been looking at around how hard it is to be okay with help. But for someone to act on my behalf. That's really healing to a very young part of me, you know, who no doubt if someone had known what I was going through would have acted. Perhaps my dad would be in jail having acted on my behalf. Like, let's just be clear. If anyone had known as a dad, you can imagine, like, I don't even know what my parents would have done, but they would have acted on my behalf. I know they would have, but they didn't know because little me believed 
I had to keep that to myself and I had to do a darn good job of it. And let's circle back around to the question of how does trauma affect intimacy? Ed, if you always have to be okay, how intimate can you really be? I mean, I'm really good at showing up and taking care of people, but if I'm always okay, I'm also back to the puzzle piece going to draw someone in who isn't going to take care of me because I don't need any taking care of. Which is the bind of the helper most often. Yeah. Folks like yourself and I who have learned to be okay so that while other people are not okay. And part of our healing journey, right, is learning to rebalance that interactional pattern Mm -hmm. and being cared for. And it's... And be vulnerable with, here's what I need to be okay. That's so vulnerable. Like people in my life who get a glimpse into like what I need, they know <laughs> they're in my inner circle. Inner circle. <laughs> like, yeah, I have a lot of like really close people in my life, but I just think by programming, I lived so much of my life coming a like holding the stance of I'm good. And I, again, it wasn't to try to like, Take people out or push people away. It was a course of survival. Well, I would imagine there was a period in which you may maybe weren't even aware that that's what you were doing or why you were doing it. It just was what it was. Until my accident, I wasn't aware. It was somewhere in the middle of my accident because I started feeling closer to people as they were helping me. And first, a lot of people would say, "Let me know if I can do anything." and You don't, I didn't know, I didn't even know what I needed, but the people, the key when you really want to help someone is just keep knocking on the door and being available, offering specific things, being available. Because eventually I was like, hey, I need this. And I know I can call that person because they've literally come to my house 20 times offering a million things. So I don't think anything I ask, if they can help me, they're going to try. And if they can't, they'll try to help me find someone who can. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. And making that connection. I mean, I know, I think you were present in another circle where I shared that it was through that when I started to realize, like, maybe if I really talk about what happened to me when I was a little girl and how it still affects me today, maybe that will bring more healing and more intimacy into my relationships because it's there. It's there. It's present. Yes, indeed. Wow. Kara, I knew this was going to be a phenomenal time together. It, it is such a gift to have you share your story with me and on the Healthy Love and Money podcast. And there are no words to fully describe the gratitude that I have. And so, you know, as we wrap up this time together, and if people were moved by your story and in a sense of connecting with you, where can they find you? What would be the best way for them to connect with you and the work that you're doing? Yeah. Thanks, Ed. Well, first of all, I want to say this has been a really sacred space and I value creating safe space. So being the recipient of this safe space that you just created for me, I just have very deep gratitude for you and the work you're doing in the world just by putting your voice out there and holding space for people to come on and share. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Let's see. My website is my name, karastoltenberg.com. That's K-A-R-A-S-T-O-L-T-E-N-B-E-R-G. 
com, And I'm on Instagram at Kara Stoltenberg. I'm also on Facebook if people are more prone to that. I was on Facebook before I was on Instagram. So <laughs> I kind of keep them right. both going. Right. And then I'm actually, like I told you, I'm, I'm working on launching my own podcast, actually, and starting interviews for that yeah. in a couple of days, actually, in May. So I don't know when this will go live, but hopefully launching that somewhere around July or August this year in 2023. And so people can tune into that. The working title for my podcast is Stepping In with Kara. So... Mm, I love that. Well, please let me know. We'll make sure to have a link to it in the show notes so that people, whenever they listen to this, they can go and find your podcast as it goes live and connect with your work and the world. And I think the invitation from both of us is let your voice be heard in the way it needs to be heard. Yeah. And I want to circle back around for us to close on that. The part of you that was a victim, there is no shame in that. Like, let's really work to take away the idea of weakness around having been a victim. Like, that's a real thing. And what we are doing in the healing in response to that is so brave. And everyone out there, it's brave work and it's life changing to step into your trauma and your story and allow yourself to show up more fully in the world and in your relationships as you do that. Well, I can't wait for people to hear this. As you're listening to this, you will have already heard this. So this closing comment doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm super excited. Thank you so much. And I can't (laughs) wait for our path to continue to cross. Thank you so much, Ed. I look forward to it also. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money. Ed. Ed.